0: Hey everybody, Brad Souza here, CTO at AVI Systems. Now here's a conundrum for you. How do you talk about technology with executive leadership in a way that matters to them? Like matters so much that they personally are willing to tolerate the messiness of innovation and see the value in trying something new. Well, today we have with us on Eyes on Impact, Rhonda Holt, CTO at PBS. And this is one of the topics that Rhonda and I, as CTOs, talk about In this episode. Now, more than that, we talk about keeping our eyes focused on the human impact of innovation and how we explain that impact to executives, customers, maybe even to inspire our own team. We also dive into AI, like generative AI in the media industry, and unpack the ethics behind AI and innovation in general. Now, one of my favorite parts of the conversation with Rhonda is when she shares her personal story. About catching the technology bug from her father and how that inspires her today to infect curiosity and courage for innovation in the lives of others around her. I love Rhonda's story. But before we get into her story, I want to take a moment and just thank LG. LG's been a great partner of ours for years and has sponsored Eyes on Impact today. Thanks to LG, we've been great at telling our story and helping our customers tell their story in a visually compelling way. So I'm looking forward to this conversation. Are you ready for it? All right, well, let's get after it. Well, Rhonda, welcome to Eyes on Impact. I am so excited that you're here with us. I've been looking forward to this time together since I, I first heard from the team that there was a possibility of you joining us. Thanks for giving us your time today.
1: Thank you so much, Brad. I'm delighted to be with you today.
0: So let's start by helping everybody get a sense of who you are, um, what your journey's been to become the CTO of PBS. Where where did it start for you? What's the passion for you with technology and in particular broadcast? Uh Oh, well...
1: I'm a lover of technology in general, and I think yeah. that just started at a very early age. Um, I kind of grew up in Central Florida during what I consider the golden age, around NASA and Jeez. space shuttles and that type of thing. So I think me, like every other kid that grew up in that area, was you know we were greatly inspired by the entire space shuttle program so that kind of led us to engineering technology math um i come from a background of um engineers you know i had several military members in the family who were in the engineering side my dad was career army and communications engineering so um very early in my life there was always some project going on (laughs) right and so you got exposed to it at a very early age and developed the love for it. Um, I like figuring out how things work. And then that led me into, um, of course, studying um, engineering, science, and technology. But I guess where computers, where I became uh, kind of fascinated or hooked by computers and information technology was based on uh, having a summer internship at the Department of Agriculture at the University of Florida, where oh, I attended. Wow. Yeah. And in that, I actually worked with a, a researcher in the Department of Agriculture who was researching at the time a uh, parasite that was infecting the corn crop in Florida. And I had at that time what I thought was the glamorous responsibility <laughs> of entering all of the data into a database about the specimens. So it was basically bug data. It doesn't sound that great now.
0: Oh but fascinating.
1: <laughs> to somebody who's, you know, 17 years old. I thought this was great. And it was my first real interaction. Um, with real-time computing systems and this was in the day where you shared the computer that we were using that the researchers were using was actually the university mainframe and so it was shared with every other part of the business that went on so it was time sharing so you'd have to wait patiently all day to be granted a session and uh, I would wait all day patiently get onto the computer and enter his research data. And I liked it. I liked them interacting with the machine and and understanding how it processed. Um, It was fascinating. And that led me to want to study computer science in college. So that's what I did. So very early, um, I think in my formative years, um, I developed, a fondness for all things Infotech. And then went to work after that, after I graduated from college for IBM and spent what I consider my career formative years uh, at IBM. And um, that was an amazing, amazing uh, opportunity to be trained really well early in my career. Oh, for
0: sure. And if I remember right, you spent some time at, at sun microsystems back when sun was like the powerhouse in supercompute and yeah so, so sun ibm sun dell those experiences did they did they shape you know your perspective on
1: absolutely absolutely you know i think the foundational things about learning to become master of my my subject matter information yeah. technology as yeah, yeah. also learning to lead I had my first Please. managerial roles at IBM, um, which was fascinating. So, just learning in a very, I think, structured, formal environment about leadership, leading teams, leading organizations, leading projects, and and uh, accomplishing, innovating in the technology space was what I learned at. IBM, and I think subsequent roles, particularly at Sun, those skill sets were honed, right? At Sun, it was about managing larger organizations, larger innovation projects. Sun was a particularly innovative company at that point in time, doing really fascinating things, Um, being able to be in the middle of that boom in Silicon Valley at that point in time was extremely impactful uh, to me and helped broaden my experience, right? Honed me, shaped me as a, as a leader.
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, so there's certain parts uh, and, and we'll talk more about your leadership style. I'm, I'm curious as to what that, how you would describe that. They, before we do, I want to I want to go circle back to the conversation about your dad if you don't mind for a moment. So I I have four kids. All four of them are connected to our industry in one way or another, uh, whether they're engineers or creative or producers or whatever they are, right? Um, it it they learned their skills along the way, but I think they learned the passion or the love for it from it's i think it's infectious did did your dad infect you with that is that kind of how it he started? did
1: he did he absolutely did um i think his interest and in all things technological at yeah. that point um as i mentioned there was always some gadget some project some new piece of technology that was um being used in the household and <laughs> so my true. dad tinkering with it and me yeah. wondering, you know, what are you doing? Why yeah. and him taking the time to explain it to me and why and exposing me to what he did at work. Um all of that I think influenced me.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. I, I want to talk for a moment about the your role as CTO. Um Because people often confuse with me, they confuse my role as CTO with CIO. And I I really, I'm happy to talk about, you know, either. But um, describe for me what the role of CTO means to you. How would you describe it to others? Yeah,
1: yeah. And I think um, both of those roles, CIO and and CTO, are are definitely often intertwined. Yeah. And I think it depends upon... um, the organization that you actually work sure. in, size, yeah. scope, that sort of thing. Within um, PBS, my role as CTO is a little bit of both, in that I have responsibility yep. for the, the underlying information technology infrastructure that supports the fundamental mm-hmm. business. That's more of the CIO kind of yep. stuff that I deal with at PBS. The other um, portion of my role as CTO is more forward looking understanding trends and directions and technology, understanding what PBS's technological needs are in terms of our customers, right? Our member stations, and then ultimately the American public as viewers of uh, PBS content. And what are the... Things that are happening technologically that can impact that experience in a positive way. I'm very interested in how our viewers, how our member stations experience PBS content.
0: Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. So I'm the first CTO at our company. I'm actually the first CTO for a solutions provider in our industry. And so there's a lot of pioneering when I first stepped into this role many years ago. I remember our CEO one day, he and I were together um, at an event and we're walking down the hall and he just kind of turned to me and he said, man, you're in your lane, aren't you? I said to him. I, I totally am. I, I think I was made for this. I l- absolutely love what I do, but I didn't get there on my own. There were so many people who helped make me ready for the role that I'm in along the way. W- what's what's the passion for you? And, and maybe there's a story or two about how people helped you get here. What does that look like for you?
1: Oh, I think um, probably... I am where I am today because of a lot of people who were influential in my growth and development, sure. certainly from my dad and, and him influencing my love of technology, but also from people that I've worked with and for. Um, when you look typically in the technology space, that portion of my career, I worked at some really awesome companies and had the opportunity to work alongside a lot of fantastic role models for this role. So I've seen up front, sat across the table from a lot of pretty awesome CTOs and technology leaders, right? If they were not CTOs, yeah. they were VPs of operations, VPs of information technology. So I feel like I've... I've um, had a lot of help and assistance and modeling of what it looks like when it's being done really well from the leaders that I've worked with in the the technology space as well as at Turner in the media space. Oh
0: yeah, Turner for sure. was
1: sort of my first foray into media, and that was out of mainstream um, technology. And so, so,
0: so are there. Are there a particular is there a particular individual, maybe a, a characteristic trait or a skill or a you know a nugget of wisdom that that you find you've kind of carried forward with you? Just one or two would be
1: Um, I think the the things that always the thing that inspires me, right? That that keeps me focused and moving forward and leaning into um new technological development in my space right is yeah. curiosity right Jeez. i think that is um just essential you have to be curious about why things are the way they are and why they work the way they work Yep. and what's new here in the space i think the other thing um that's always important as you as you um kind of traverse leadership adventures right in different roles there's always there's got to be a certain amount of courage right and willingness to wander in the spaces that may not be a place that you've been before right i think um Those two things together, right—the willingness and courage to do that, and the curiosity that pulls you there.
0: So, I'm going to tap on that just a little bit here. I'm going to—I'd like to spend a little bit more time around that topic. So, when when people talk about you as a leader, the kinds of ways they talk about you you is—you know—you're a people-first leader. I've, I've heard that. I've heard you're a big thinker. Uh, open-minded. I've heard that you're inclusive. You're 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 willing to listen to ideas and concepts from all sorts of points of view. How do how do you describe your leadership?
1: Um, I think participative mm. is um, how I would describe it. I like to engage. With the organization, I like to, to see things from their point of view, hear what they yeah. have to say, but I also like to provoke them, right? <laughs> so I like to ask hard questions. I, I like to say, what about this? What about that? Um, I think uh, a lot of that is sparked by my own curiosity about the topic. Teams in general bring a lot of expertise to the table. yeah. So it's an opportunity, uh, for mutual learning. Um, they learn from my experience by what questions I'm asking them. Yeah. I learn from them by, you know, what they're bringing forward to me, what they're thinking about a a new technology or how it plays into what we're doing. Um, I think it, it's, uh, it's definitely participative. I like to engage. I think it's powered a lot by curiosity about people, curiosity about technology.
0: Yeah, so I I love that. Within uh, within my team, we've really been very intentional about uh, honoring different points of views and experiences. Uh, n- none of us, n- none of us work in the same place. We're we're all over. And, and with that comes very different experiences and way you solve problems. We've worked really hard to create a culture of honor. Um, and I think honor brings with it, uh, honor and trust bring with it, uh, the ability to be curious and not be so afraid about failing and, and the courage to try something, even though you don't know what the outcome is going to be so i I really I really really respect that I love what you're saying about curiosity and courage I, I actually would like to carry that a step further so i'm I'm assuming that uh that your team uh is a lot of engineers maybe some designers or developers would would that be right
1: yeah it's a a combination I think of Certainly engineers, architects. I think there are also operational portions of the organization because I have the underlying technology that supports our business. I have the operations team as well, Um, project managers, program managers. So it's a, a, a full component uh technical professionals and all of the support organizations around them
0: yeah so i think i've seen over the years that engineers in general put myself in the category um we we like to see the end before we take the end of the journey before we take the first step And, and and while that's that's an advocate for reliability and organizational sustainability and that kind of stuff it's actually the adversary of innovation and new ideas. How do you help engineers who really want to uh, reduce the amount of risk possible? how do you how do you help them embrace the unknown?
1: Yeah, I think I have to model that. Um, I like experimentation. Um, yes. When we're doing something different or something that we haven't done before, the, the first words out of my mouth are going to be, we got to do a pilot. Yep. Yeah, let's,
0: exactly. Let's
1: pick some people, right, and try this out. Let's let, have some folks experiment with it. And I think um, that experimentation does two things. I think it it supports, enables, and promotes innovation because we try things. I think the other thing it does is it sort of mitigates this uh, need to, to, you know, have something be as risk, you know, free as possible from an engineering standpoint by saying, Hey, it's okay to create a tightly controlled experiment. Well, where we try some things and see what happens, right? All we can do is learn from that. And then ultimately, (laughs) when we get around to doing whatever the final solution is, we're better informed, right? And we're doing better risk management because we're sort of understanding the lay of the land and what could go wrong before we start off down that path.
0: Yeah, that's so good. So like like you, we go through a, a process of, you know ideas that we talk about and then they kind of create a pattern and we realize, aha, Hey, we may be onto something and then you get it into a proof of concept and then into a pilot and right it, for us. um I, I guess this is not going to be between just you and I, but it'll be between you and I and a few hundred of our closest friends that I uh, half, two thirds of the things that we start in proof of concept don't actually make it, make it to a product release. But I, I, I I say sometimes you learn, uh, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. I don't know that we ever failed. It, so explain that process and, and why you're okay with with you know not failure, but learning.
1: I think we evolve, right? Yeah. Anything that gives us a greater understanding of the the problem mm-hmm. we're trying to solve or the possible solutions to get to that problem, that that's just Plain old good R&D work, right? Right. When you're doing that. And I think, um, anyone that's been (laughs) in the innovation space or the science space knows, right, experimentation, there is no replacement for experimentation and good lab work on the ground or good field work, depending upon your area, um, that supports whatever conclusion or hypothesis you're going to draw from that drives your yeah. project. So I think getting that, that baseline helping to refine our assumptions, what we know, clarify what we don't know. Yeah. Like, I think it makes us better at managing the risk. ultimately, and uh, it, we get better results out of the the projects, right? Because we're just more informed when we go into
0: it. Yeah, I, I love that. So I I share with my team often that the proof of concept is for us, and the pilot is for the customer. And and in the POC, we're trying to demonstrate that the concepts that we think we we understand will actually solve the problem that we're seeing, but the pilot. Introduces the the consumer of the technology into the process, and, and uh, I, I share with people that um, I, you know, maybe a little embarrassed to admit, I probably delivered hundreds of systems that 100% meet the spec but are never used because we forgot to bring people into the equation. How do you, how do you do that? How do you bring people in?
1: Well, we we have to make them. You know, they're part of this grand conspiracy, right, that we're doing here to roll out this new technology. So we have to make them part of the plan and it has to be based around solving their business problems, right? Ultimately, technology is about making people more productive and more effective at doing their jobs, right? And it's our, we are sort of in the position as uh, being the ambassadors for that as well as actually executing ultimately on that that solution. And so part of, you know, being a good ambassador about that is helping people to understand what it can do for them, right? And so when we're, we're picking these pilot projects, right, or proof of concept projects, we try to pick pain points, right? We try to build the project around yeah. a pain point that, a particular customer is having, right? And by solving that pain point, we're doing a couple of things. We're we're legitimately demonstrating and proving that our thoughts on how we approach dealing with that problem are correct. Our assumptions are valid. The other thing that we're doing, right, and working with the customer and having them be part of this and solving their problem, right, is we're also treat, you know, creating additional advocacy ultimately for this technology solution when we roll it out. Because we're going to have a happy customer here who has a problem that we've leveraged some new technology or process mm-hmm. to solve on their behalf. So when we're trying to roll this out to other parts of the organization, they're going to be helping us message around this. They're going to be helping us train other teams around how to effectively use this because they feel some ownership and partnership for the creation and development yeah. of the solution. So I think it's, um, it's how you do anything uh, with people yeah. Yeah. and and gaining trust and commitment yeah. to any cause, right? is you create a value proposition with that that customer right you make them part of the process they this product is or solution is just as much theirs as it is ours right it's not something we're doing to them it's something we're doing with them
0: yeah so good so you you use the term grand conspiracy Talk about that because I love the term. Talk about it. It's
1: just my way of thinking about adding, at least for me anyway, adding um, a little excitement to what we're doing. Everybody, particularly humans, love a plot, right? So we are are rolling out this technology because we have a grand scheme to do X, Y, Z, right? I think... um, A story we love, it's all about the story, right? We're in media, there's gotta be a good story, right? That folks can relate to. So Uh, this is part of storytelling in my mind about technology that makes it accessible
0: to others. So how, how do you, so I agree with you. And one of the things that I spend a lot of time with my direct reports, my leaders, Is we spend time crafting that story, being intentional about it. You know, identifying who the villain is that that we need to vanquish, identifying who the hero is. What's our role as the guide? Right. How do you help your team uh, imagine what the story is that you need to tell? Yeah,
1: um, I start off by asking them usually, "What's the story?" right how are we gonna articulate this to a layperson audience who may not understand you know the benefits of the the technical specification here that we're rolling out to them so what is our story behind this is how i typically start right if you're explaining this to your grandmother right yeah. And your grandmother is the venture capitalist here what's your story right how are you gonna explain it in such a way that she understands it and thinks you're a sound investment to make um and then we talk through it you know it's all about finding that that common ground is it the right metaphor and analogy that yeah. makes problem that you're trying to solve very accessible to the average person right and you have to be able to talk about it in terms of something that is relatable like that they've experienced oh i know what that is well this is like that frequently you know the having them understand the nitty-gritty details. Is not necessary to tell the story.
0: Yeah, that's so good. So, so for us, you know, I shared with you um, before that we've uh, worked with a number of uh, PBS affiliates. Um, sometimes that's building a set. Sometimes that's working with the creative and digital media workflows. And sometimes that's just operational. It's around UC and conference rooms and meeting spaces. Whatever that, whatever that is. When, when we tell the story uh, amongst the engineering team, it's around spec and tech. But when we tell the story around the customer, the ultimate consumer of that technology, it's really around how it's going to impact their life. It's really around the outcome that's going to level up their world. And that's so important um, for me. That's so important for my team to be able to tell that story because that's going to define how the t- the project is actually going to uh, level up the consumer of that tech rather than just an operator of it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's how you 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 gain interest um how how you get um adoption yeah. of technology is that like there's got to be some affinity <laughs> with the, the end user or the consumer of that technology. They have to understand it and um the story behind it, why you think it's important and why you believe it's important to them. I think um that is so critical in information technology. And when yeah. you skip that step frequently um those are the cases where you don't get broad adoption of a tool right. that could be so impactful, but it's not recognized as uh, being impactful by the, the target audience.
0: Yeah, I, I really, really love that. I, I imagine a lot of the storytelling that you tell is to your the rest of your executive team, <laughs> right? And, and And they don't want to hear about, you know, resolution or frame rate or storage capacity. They they want to hear what it's going to do for the, for the viewer, for the members, you know, whatever it is. Right. That, so how, how do you explain the messiness of innovation to your executive team? Oh,
1: wow. It's, it's, <laughs> um, it, it's a ongoing um, conversation about it. You know, it is um, not, perfect i think um evolution usually our evolution of technology which is how i usually talk about it right there are different stages right uh the stuff that is the most interesting the most innovative is also the stuff that's earliest in its evolution that's right where it's full of unknowns that's It's not done yet, right? It's still being experimented with. Um, That's technology at its riskiest. That's when your venture capitalists like to jump in. Right. Right. And then there's in the middle, right, where you get the fast followers. It's where it's been out there for a while. And it's well-known and uh, well-understood its limitations, its strengths, and weaknesses. And people are just starting to adapt it, create applications, use cases that leverage it, right?
0: And That's
1: then right. there's the, the case where the value engineers go in <laughs> and, right, they make it even better. They perfect it. They make it cheaper. Right. They make it more accessible, easier to get. And it's very akin to what happens, um, you know, when pharmaceuticals are developed. Right, the path that they take from being an experimental drug to a generic drug, right, is pretty much the same path that technology takes as it evolves. Right, it's that S-curve that it goes down. That's right. So, um, most of the time, when I'm talking to the executive team. You know, I'm giving them some reference of, of where are we in the evolution of this technology and how it relates to our use case, right? Where where do we need to be, you know, at the very bleeding edge at the beginning? Where do we, we don't have to be first. We just need to be in that fast follower range. That's right. Yep. And when is the generic stage good enough? For this, we don't need to invent anything. We just need to wait until it's dirt cheap and then come in there.
0: Yep. Yeah. In that stage, it's all about scale and repeatability, right? Exactly.
1: So it's about framing.
0: In, In the early stages, I apologize for stepping on top of you. For the early stages, it's important. I think we've learned that how important it is to bring the customer along with you that they understand. You know, are you an early adopter? Because if you're an early adopter, we're an early adopter on this technology. We can learn together, right? Exactly.
1: And that goes back to what is the what is the business problem we're trying to solve, right? And there's an analysis that has to, has to be done with respect to can we or should we be an earlier adopter of this particular technology? What is the risk associated with
0: it? Yeah, that's so good. So so Rhonda, in, in the in your world today at, at PBS, are there one or two technologies that you are paying a lot of attention to? What what are the kinds of things yeah, that are on your mind? I
1: think this is there's nothing radical about this because I think it's what everyone else is paying attention to right now with generative AI. Yeah, for sure. Right. That's the the sort of new thing that has uh, popped up. That we're trying to understand how it applies to to what we do. And um, that's twofold, right? On the creative side, as producers of content, what are the implications of generative AI for that? And then on the operational side, what is the role um, that generative AI plays in a space where the answer is already known typically in an operational space we know what we need the answer to be yeah right um and we with machine learning and then you know sort of just very basic automation in many cases you solve those operational problems so the question is okay is there anything that you get by using generative AI in that instance. It's a question mark or it remains yeah. to be full. So I think um, generative AI is in that early evolution where we're trying to understand how it might be used right. and what are the risk rewards of doing so. And if you're going to use it, you know what policy or governance needs to be around it to make sure that it's being used in a a responsible and constructive way.
0: Yeah. So I remember in the old days, like 2019, I was, I think it was 2019 I was at NAB with my director of the broadcast practice and we were talking about machine vision and AI for cataloging and understanding what media assets we had and, all of that kind of stuff back in the day. Generative AI has taken the world kind of, or at least the conversation about AI in a new place. How do you you coach your team um, to take advantage of generative AI?
1: Well, certainly it starts with experiments, right? Understanding what the capabilities of the technology are, what the do's and don'ts. I think um, the big challenge that any organization or team is going to have with generative AI is making sure that you're not stepping on someone else's IP. And that is a concern, you know, in the engineering space, being concerned about exposing your engineering or technology staff that has the responsibility for developing IP to other folks whose IP has always been a no-no, right? Because you want to try to avoid contamination, right? Because that's how you get yourself in the problems inadvertently. I think um, the same thing still applies here. If you're going to experiment with it, Learn about it, learn its capabilities, how it works, um, but also when you're using it, be conscious of attribution to whoever the primary sources are or whatever you're leveraging, right? And so the guardrails that we put around it are about transparent use, being transparent about it if you are using it, giving proper getting permission that this information is somebody else's IP or copyrighted in some way, give proper attribution to whoever the creators authors are. Acknowledge that. Um, Don't, you know, provide data or information to AI that is proprietary. That's right. Nature. Because, you know, it becomes community ownership at some point when you do that. So be very cautious about that. Um, Experiment though, and learn.
0: And and so it sounds to me that part of the technoethics for you around generative AI is transparency. Acknowledging the contribution that AI has made or maybe those who have contributed to the... uh, the uh, learning model or the GPT that you happen to be using, acknowledging that, acknowledging your contribution to that library now, because you've now added to the learning of that library. Mm, So fascinating. That's great.
1: Deliberate and intentional about adding to that library, right? Mm. Don't do it accidentally because you released information that, you just weren't conscious of the fact that you've contributed to this community source. So be deliberate and intentional about how you interact with those AI engines
0: so So our time's almost up, but I'd like to actually just uh, tap on that one more time. So we talked about early adopters and the early stages of innovation. Uh, AI generative AI in particular has brought to the forefront. The need to contemplate, in my opinion, the techno ethics of early adopter technologies were in the past. It was all around. Does it do what it needs to do? And, and today it, it needs to include uh-huh. um, exposing to our customers that this is we're in an early stage here. It needs to include uh, the idea of, of transparency as you're using uh, generative AI with some of their use case material, because they're in the journey with you, so how uh, it's it's an interesting age that we're in, I guess, or season that we're in. Um, and I don't know that I necessarily consider the techno ethics of early adopter innovation as part of it, but do, it sounds to me like you do as part of your. Development process?
1: I think you have to. I think um, you know, usually these are the kind of discussions that um get had when you're developing technology that's life-threatening in some way or right. can be life-threatening, like for medical devices or for space shuttles, for example. Right. right. Um, questions of ethics come up or building bridges, right? Right. I think um, In terms of training and education, um, there is always some ethics course that engineers are required to take in formal education around stuff like this. I think this, I don't know if this is the first time or, or maybe, um, maybe it's the first time that, that, something so pervasive, right. Right. So readily available to everyone in the, the infotek computer space has come into existence. Right. And all of those other industries, it's usually pretty specialized and, uh, getting or having access to that kind of technology. um, Here, you have something that's broadly available. Anybody can access it. And I think if you are on the the creative side where you're producing or creating, I think you are required, right? I think ethics require you to have some kind of guidelines that deal with transparency. Um, I think in particular, when you have A, a, when your audience is the American public, yeah, for sure. That it, you know, that's a requirement that you be transparent about its use and that you respect sources and the art of others in doing so.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely on point. And if you and I, as CTOs, if what we're delivering are technologies that actually make an impact to humans' lives, then there's an there's an obvious ethnical question that has to be answered as you're delivering those kinds of solutions that really matter to people. So I I think that's brilliant. It's a wonderful conversation. Thanks for having it with us. We're we're almost out of time. I want to land a plane here. So if, if there's somebody who imagines themselves on a journey to technology leadership, you know, whether it's a VP or it's a CTO or a CIO, what's the takeaway from your story that you would like them to hear?
1: I think um, you have to, to love the technology for the sake of technology because I think that that's what inspires you within that, that sort of um, progression of technical roles and responsibilities that you can have with increasing leadership responsibility. I think um, you still have to, to be fascinated by technology fundamentally and like it and enjoy it, right? It makes all of the other um, things worthwhile, I think because you're still learning, right? But that's you still have to believe, I think, like every, um, when I first started to study technology and probably like every other, you know, student of science or technology, you have to believe, right, that technology can make people's lives better, right? You know, that's what inspired me um, as a freshman going into college, This stuff can make people's lives better. This can solve all the ills of the world if we harness it and use it in the right way. I think you have to believe that. I still believe that today. And I think that's what inspires me.
0: Rhonda Holt, CTO at PBS. It has been an absolute joy. Thank you for giving us your time today. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I've had a lot of fun and it's been great talking with you, Brad.
0: Thank you.